In this episode, I'm going to turn you into a grammar nerd and give you homework for next week. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Ever since I was young, I've had a love and a passion for reading and especially writing. Now, if you've ever read my articles on onwardinthefaith.com, that's probably not going to surprise you too much, considering the vast majority of my articles are basically three to five page essays. So I enjoy words, I enjoy writing and conveying thoughts in writing, and I really enjoy grammar itself. I enjoy the rules and the creativity within the English language, which, even though it can be really weird and confusing and contradictory sometimes, I love the freedom and the creativity involved in the English language. And even growing up, I was always seen as the English guy. If you had questions on spelling or grammar or whatever, just call Ray up and he'll probably know. And that started translating really interestingly later in life when I really started catching that passion for Christ and really started pursuing him, and I started digging in to his word, one thing that really stood out to me is that grammar and understanding how words interact with each other actually really matters, and it's really important for our understanding and our interpretation of God's word. Because even though we aren't reading it in the original Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, a lot of those rules will still kind of translate across into our own language, or the translators will try to make them follow certain English rules as they are reflected in those original languages. And something that I really started learning is that if I had a confusing verse or a confusing passage, a lot of times, if I paid attention to the grammar and how words were set out and structured, that might help bring some clarity. And so what I want to talk about today is just one of those words that really matters in our Bible reading. Because there's one word that when we're reading Scripture or when we're quoting it or using it in our daily lives or when we're talking to other people, we will use certain verses and not fully understand what they mean because we're ignoring a very simple word that they start with. And now that word is therefore. And so when we use these verses that begin with therefore, and we don't think about what came before these verses, we end up not actually understanding what these verses actually mean and how they apply. So I want to give three examples of some of these most commonly used verses. So Romans 8.1 is often used whenever we want to give ourselves or give someone else comfort in their salvation or assurance of their salvation. We will often use it in terms of you don't need to fear the wrath of God if Christ has paid for your sins. And Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, another verse that we often use is our call to avoid bad things or to live very good and moral and upstanding lives. And that is found in Colossians 3.5. It says, Therefore, consider the member of your earthly bodies as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And then lastly, if you've ever had a debate with someone about tattoos or healthy eating, 
versus eating at McDonald's, you may have heard Romans 12.1 come out. And that says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And now we all have our understanding and our ideas of what these mean. And for the most part, if we are followers of Jesus Christ who want to be faithful to his word, we're probably going to have a fairly solid understanding of what these mean anyway and why Paul is saying all of these things. But a problem comes in that when we read them alone, we can really assign any meaning to them. And as we're going to talk about, the reason for that is that if we don't know why that therefore is there, we're not going to understand how the writer or the speaker came to their conclusion, which comes after therefore. And so a common saying when it comes to how important this single word is, is that it's important for us to understand what the therefore is there for. In other words, why is it there? What's it doing in that sentence? Why did the author put it there? Because there's always a reason. It's not just this absent-minded word. If you see therefore, it's actually signaling something very important. So what does therefore actually mean? So I'm going to get a little, little, little grammar nerdy on you, but don't pause it. Don't turn this off. I'll, I'll make it quick and as painless as I can. So therefore is basically part of a family of other words that are like it. Uh, these members would include words like so, thus, now, instead, also, things like that. These are called conjunctive adverbs. And it's all right if you don't remember it, but if you want to Google it and find even more examples, conjunctive adverbs is what you're looking for. But what these do is these words are combining two independent thoughts in creating a logical connection between them. They are Basically, it's serving as a link in a chain. It's holding these two independent ideas that could sit on their own, but it's holding them together and showing how they are related. In a broad sense, what these words basically do, you know, therefore or so or now, what they're saying is because of what I just said, now here's this thought to consider. And so ultimately, for our purposes, what we need to realize is that what comes after these kinds of words is very dependent and reliant on what came before them. So therefore has a very specific meaning. And ultimately what it boils down to is that when you see therefore, we use it to say, because of what I said, we can conclude this. Or biblically speaking, we've just learned a big truth about God or Jesus Christ or human beings now here's why it matters. Here's how it applies. Here's what we need to do with that truth. And so in a way, therefore, is almost a call to action. It's a call to set our minds on God in this very specific way. It's really, it's a logical argument. It's saying, because we know this, now we do this. Now we think of God in this way. Now we live our lives in this way. Now we remember this thing that will change our lives. That's ultimately what therefore is doing. And so therefore is ultimately saying that this phrase that I'm about to say is true only because of what came before it. It's not just true because the Bible says it's true. It's true because of what was just proven. And I know that's a little vague and abstract. And actually next week we're going to really dig in and apply this, but we'll get into some practical examples in a second. 
But what we really need to understand and why this needs to matter to us, even if you grew up hating English, even if you struggle to read, it's critical as followers of Christ to understand what this word is doing, not because it makes us smarter, but simply because it's going to transform the way that we actually read God's word. Because if we don't know why a statement is true, it's not going to mean much to us. We're going to end up possibly following that statement or obeying or thinking about it, but we're not going to know why we think that way. We're not going to know why we believe what we believe. And God's word doesn't call for us to do that. I mean, I have a whole episode on what faith is and why faith isn't blind. Faith is based on really logic and reason and making conclusions that because God is true, therefore I'm going to obey him. Because God has certain laws, therefore I need to obey them. Because I did not obey them, therefore I need someone to save me. And Christ is the only way to the Father, therefore I'm going to follow and serve him. And so if we aren't starting with that first half of the sentence or the first half of that thought, it may not be just a risk of us not knowing what's being said. It may boil down to us completely misinterpreting it and even having some false teachings based on it. And we're going to revisit those three verses I read and just show how if we don't know why this is being said, we can come away with some very strange beliefs on it simply because we don't know what the proof is for the logical conclusion being made. We're not going to know what the therefore is there for. But just to run through some, some more practical examples, just to see how we use therefore in our everyday lives. If someone were to say, it's raining, therefore you should grab an umbrella, you're going to know that you don't just grab an umbrella every day of the week. You do it because of a truth in the fact that, well, it's raining, so yes, of course I'm going to grab an umbrella. If I were to say to you, it's October, therefore the costume industry is making money, well, that's not a statement saying, well, the costume industry is just always making money 12 months out of the year, but because it's October, now this thing about them is true. Or, you drank poison, therefore you should immediately induce vomiting. I'll leave that one alone. I'm pretty sure you know the conclusion to that one. So, But what happens when we take these verses, when we take parts of the Bible that say therefore and make that the beginning of our sentence, make that the beginning of our thought? Because remember, therefore starts the last half of a thought. It's the conclusion of it. But what happens when we start with a conclusion without knowing how we got there? What happens when we kind of jump in in the middle of a movie or in the middle of a book and try to figure out what's happening in the plot? So with the Romans 8.1 verse, which we use often to comfort ourselves or to just talk about salvation, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Well, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why is there no condemnation? Is it because our works have saved us and now we are no longer condemned because we are such good people? Is it because universalism is true and God just forgives everyone and he just wrote off everyone's debt and therefore there's no condemnation because we're all in Christ? Is it because we've given money to the church or because we've donated time to the church and therefore we are in Christ and now there's no condemnation for us? Or is it just that we were born into the right family or the right country or attend the right church or believe in the right religion? Is that why there's no condemnation for us? And now, of course, we would say, well, no, no, it's, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about him being your savior. Well, yes, it is. But that's because we know the logical foundation that leads to this. We know what Romans chapters 1 through 7 say that build towards this statement of therefore, now there is no condemnation. 
but again, if we aren't starting there, if we aren't saying, here's what's true, therefore, here's what it means, we can come up with any kind of argument. Now, what about Colossians 3.5 in our call to avoid bad things? You know, it says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly bodies as dead to all of these things, immorality, evil desire, greed. Now, on their own, these aren't terrible things, right? This, this is a very moral, upstanding verse. Immorality, impurity, evil desire, I mean, those are things that go against the good of society itself. So is that what's going on here? Are we just told to reject these earthly desires and these earthly passions and just to live kind of a, a monk lifestyle where we, we aren't bound to this earth, but we just embrace the spiritual? Because a lot of religions call for us to do that. You know, what is it that drives us to be dead to these things? Because, again, what Paul is saying here is because of what I've just said, now you need to consider yourselves as dead. Because this is true, now be dead to greed and evil desire and impurity and idolatry. But again, if we don't know why these things are being said, then we can come up with all kinds of weird conclusions. You know, are we dead to these things because we're now perfect and Christ has made us dead to them and we can't possibly sin anymore. Everything we do is forgiven and therefore, just like Romans 8, there's no condemnation for us. Do we need to be dead to these sinful things because we need to please God or because if we don't, we will lose our salvation? You know, because that's a very easy way to beat someone down and say, you need to be sinless. You need to always obey God because he says you need to be dead to immorality and impurity. You know, again, if we don't know why this is coming up, we can use it in any way that isn't true to who God is and what he's saying. And then finally, Romans 12, 1 about presenting your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. You know, is is this talking about tattoos? Is this a good reason not to get a tattoo or to eat at McDonald's? You know, because why in the first place are we presenting our bodies or what is the extent that we present them? as living and holy? You know, is it about just our physical bodies? Is it a picture of our lives? You know, what has been said before that would help us to understand why Paul and really why the Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to say these things? So when we run into the word therefore, ultimately what we need to realize is that that word and and similar words like it, as I said, so, thus, Also, things like that, you know, things that are linking to ideas. But when we see these words and these kinds of words, really, it's just our signal to go back and ask why. It's our call to pause where we are, say, do I know why he's making this conclusion? Do I know what truth he is starting with and therefore building up this argument or this thought or this belief? You know, what led Jesus or Paul or whomever to reach this conclusion that they're making. And if we don't know, that's kind of exciting because that's our excuse to dig further into God's word and say, okay, there is a reason. There is a logical thought behind what he's saying. And I can find it because it's in God's word. I know that that it is explained and it's understandable. It might be difficult, but I know that I don't need to let this verse be a mystery because it's it's just it's part of that chain. It's part of that logical series of thoughts that is starting with a belief and then ending with this conclusion after therefore. So we just need to find the first half of it. But ultimately, why does this matter? Because as I kind of talked about in my How to Read the Bible episode, 
this just adds a lot more work to our Bible reading and to our understanding of God. You know, it's it's infinitely easier not to do work than it is to actually do work. It's easier to read a single verse than to read possibly entire chapters of a book of the Bible in order to understand what that single verse means. So why bother? What's our motivation? What's the value of spending so much extra time and thought doing it? Well, ultimately, it is dangerous as followers of Christ for us to read a single verse without context. You know, a lot of what I talk about and a lot of what I want to show when I'm talking about individual verses is that I want us to see why is this biblical writer saying it? Why is God saying this? Why did Jesus say this thing? You know, because ultimately, for the purposes of our discussion, if we are reading a verse that says, therefore, and don't understand why, then all we really have is a command. And so if we obey that verse, if we do what it says, or if we believe what it says, then we're going to have action, but we're not going to have motivation behind the action. We're just going to be doing it and coming up with our own reasons why it's true or why we should do it. And maybe there's some people sitting there saying, well, that's fine. I mean, as long as we're doing the right thing, that's what God wants. God wants us to obey. God wants us to believe certain things, right? And I'm going to say no. I think that if we look all throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament, we're going to see that God, ultimately, he doesn't care what we do. What he cares about is why we do it. And what I mean by that is that, you know, if you look at Israel and how they would seem to do the right things, or if you look at the Pharisees especially, they did the right things, but they are always called out, not for their actions necessarily, but for the hearts behind them. Now, yes, we see Israel being condemned for their actions, but God's not saying, you love me so much and you're slipping into idolatry. You love me so much and you are embracing the culture. No, what he's saying is that your hearts are far from me. Therefore, you are committing these actions. You are doing these things that I hate. But what it starts with is Israel's heart. What it started with with Christ is the Pharisees' hearts. And what it starts with with us when we're trying to understand our own sinful actions and our own sinful motivations is whether the things I do seem good or they seem wrong, is my heart behind it correct? Am I just going through a ritual and going to church and reading my Bible and praying? Do I believe this? Am I doing this out of a love and a worship and a reverence for God? Or am I doing it to earn something? Am I doing it to impress people? Am I doing it to just feel like I'm a good person or like I'm earning favor with God or like I'm doing my part in my spiritual walk. Because if that's our motivation, God can still use it, but our heart isn't pleasing to God, even if those actions seem good. Even if our spouse, parents, our kids, people at church, whoever's around us, even if people say, oh, you are so holy, you're so following God, we know our hearts and we know if our hearts are truly in it or if our motivations are wrong and rotten. Now, there's two places in God's Word where I really love to see this. It's because, specifically, they take place in the Old Testament. Because we as Christians, I think we always look back at the Old Testament and think, oh, that was all law. God just wanted them to act and do. And salvation was dependent on them walking the walk and talking the talk. But as we're, I'm going to read just one passage. I'll give you both, though. But as we're going to see... God's not interested. He's never been interested in us just doing stuff. He hasn't been desiring for his people to just perform for him. He's always cared about their hearts. He's always, yes, wanted them to obey, wanted them to 
follow certain laws or to be in line with his character, but not just because he wants to watch us do those things, but because if we are loving him, if we are serving him, those are naturally going to flow. You know, that's what the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five is all about. It's not about do these things to prove you have the spirit, but because you have the spirit, you're going to do these things. And here's the evidence of the spirit in your life. Just like those works of the flesh aren't just what we do to live in the flesh. They're what we do when we're living in the flesh. But back to the Old Testament. So I want to read out of Amos, which is a book of the Bible maybe no one's ever read listening to this. You know, it's not a very popular prophet. But, you know, within here, God is basically, he's condemning Israel. He's, he starts off the book by condemning the nations around Israel, and then he zeroes in on Israel and their sin and how they've walked away from him. And you might think, oh, well, they're, you know, sacrificing babies and following Molech and, and worshiping Baal. And no, not quite. Actually, from the outside looking in, it sounds like Israel is actually doing the right thing, but their hearts were wrong. And so we pick this up in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 23, which says, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. So if we today need to wonder, is God just happy if I go to church? Isn't that enough? No, it's not about singing to God, right? It's about singing out of the abundance of joy and worship and awe that we have in our hearts. And that's why we sing. You know, doing good actions, doing the right thing doesn't matter if our motivations are wrong. And as we see here in this passage in Amos, God didn't care that they were making the proper sacrifices. He didn't care that they were holding the right festivals. Nothing they did mattered because their hearts were far from him. Their actions were right. They seemed to be obeying the letter of the law. They could probably open up the book of the books that Moses had written and say, oh, see, we're, we're doing the right thing. But here God says, no, you are completely missing the point. You know, and if you want to read this again, You can check Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 to 15, and he basically says the same thing, that he's just disgusted and repulsed by what Israel is doing and saying that they're doing it in his name. So, but the point of this, though, again, is that God wants our hearts, not our actions. You know, in my last episode, I talked about how we can't make God just love us less. It's not about us proving ourselves to him or earning his favor or trying to maintain our salvation. You know, God's not looking at us and saying, okay, you need to perform, you need to toe the line, you need to rise to this certain bar that I've set or else. You know, without a proper reverence for who God is, for his holiness, for his justice, for his love, for his goodness, without a full understanding and desire for who he is, then our actions are ultimately meaningless. Because two people can read the Bible, but only one of them can please God with it. Because The other person can be reading it out of duty to prove themselves because they were told to. You know, they can have any manner of motivation. It's not about what we do, but why we do it. And so all this rewinds back to why, therefore, is so important for us as followers of Christ. Because we can read it. We can see calls to holiness and to rejecting sin. But if we aren't paying attention to why we do it, if we're ignoring the therefore, which tells us, hey, there was a truth that came earlier, therefore, now we do this, 
if if we're not being stirred to action based on truth, then our actions aren't going to mean a whole lot to God. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, if you hate English, if you hate reading, if Bible study is a chore, just try this. J- just try to pay attention to the words that are being used and say, why? Why should I believe this? What? Why is he saying therefore? What is he concluding? What's the first half of this thought? Because that's what we always need to remember, is that even if a sentence starts with therefore, even if a chapter of the Bible starts with therefore, you know, Romans 8 and Romans 12 begin with therefore. Despite that, despite seeming like they are their own separate things, if you see the word therefore, remember, that's only half of the story. It's the last half. When we see therefore, we know we are missing something that came before. Now, sometimes it will be just a few verses prior to it. Sometimes it'll be the entire book that we're reading that we need to start from chapter 1, verse 1, and understand everything that's logically being laid out. Then we can say, okay, therefore, present your bodies. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to these sinful things. But we can't understand it without doing the legwork to understand it. And so again, is it worth it? Yes, because it draws us closer to God. It helps us understand not just what we need to do, but who he is and why we care about doing it. Because we don't do these things. We don't live holy lives. We don't reject sin. We don't tell ourselves no when the rest of the world says we should tell ourselves yes. We don't live this life of following Christ necessarily because it feels good or because we need to prove something or because there's some reward in it for us. We do it purely because we love God. And if this is what God says is good, then we want to call it good. We want to see it as good. And we want to live in line with his will and his desires. And ultimately, we want to live in line with who Jesus Christ is, the pattern he set and the life that he called us to. So at the beginning of the episode, I promised you I would make you a grammar nerd. And I hope I've at least started you on that very unrewarding path. But I also promised you homework. And so for the next episode, here's your homework. I want you to put this reading of therefore into use. And we're going to do it on something that is very, I think, important for us to understand. Because, again, when we don't understand the therefore in this verse, it's very easy to turn this, these words of Jesus Christ into just morality and good actions. So your homework is to understand the golden rule. Now, we understand the golden rule. Everyone understands the golden rule. You know, even on regular TV shows or movies, you know, people understand if you say the golden rule, people know that means that you need to treat others how you want to be treated. You know, we teach that to children. It's a basic fundamental idea that we should not abuse others if we would not want to be abused back. We should be kind to others if we would hope that they would be kind back to us. You know, I mean, it's really for a lot of people, this is an idea of karma. You know, do good, good comes back to you. So I'm going to read the verse, which is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So that's your homework for this week is understanding Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So we've got a therefore in this verse. It may not be the first word. But what Christ is saying here is, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Now, on its own, again, we can make this about karma and morality and just being a good person. But if we realize that therefore means this is just the last half of a thought, we need to see, why is Christ saying this? 
What is the first half of this? What did he build up as a foundation in order to make this conclusion for us? And so your homework for this week is to figure out what is our motivation for following these words of Jesus Christ? Why should we treat people the same way we want them to treat us? And like I said, Lord willing, and especially my health willing, we will dig into this next week and really get much more specific and immersed in God's word. I know this was kind of a high overview, but next week I would really love to just dig in and see what does the golden rule really mean for followers of Jesus Christ? What did he mean when saying it? And especially, are people who are outside of Christ even capable of following these words? So to wrap this episode up, whenever you see words like therefore, so, thus, etc., remember that some kind of application or conclusion is being made based on what came before. Now, if you've been with me for a while and been listening, you know that good Bible reading comes from understanding the context of what we're reading. Therefore, we will get a fuller understanding of God's Word when we take time to understand what the therefore is there for. <laughs>